This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, March 22, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. Homeschooling in the United States is growing, and yet the popular conception of homeschoolers is hopelessly antiquated. Author Zach Slayback had a rude awakening when he began working with homeschoolers a few years ago, and he learned that homeschoolers are very diverse and extremely well-organized. His advice to lawmakers who might want to regulate homeschooling, is this the hill you want to die on? So detail for me. Uh, having your appreciation for homeschoolers as a group changed. Yeah, no. So I, I was not homeschooled. I knew a couple of people growing up who were homeschooled and they were, you know, kind of odd. And the as I got older, the more and more people I met who did homeschool, you know, they were like different libertarian types. So I kind of figured it was an ideological thing for them. But I still thought most of the people who are involved in homeschooling are probably doing it for religious reasons. Uh, I probably don't necessarily agree with those religious reasons. And they probably are, you know, honestly, the the notion that I think most people have of homeschoolers are people, you know, churning butter at four in the morning with denim skirts down to their ankles, right? And that was more or less kind of the, the notion I operated by, because I think that's the popular notion that we have of the stereotype. And I got an opportunity several years ago uh, as while well, I was doing business development for a company called Praxis to go and interact with a lot of homeschoolers. A number of our customers were homeschoolers. Uh, our founder's background at the time, you know, was from he homeschooled and was homeschooling himself and was homeschooled himself. So we had this opportunity to go speak at homeschooling conferences. I thought like, okay, I'll take this up. You know, it'll be an interesting endeavor. And I was blown out of the water, first of all, by how wrong my preconceived notions were about these people. Like most of them are homeschooling simply because they believe that they can do a better job educating their children than some stranger appointed by the state can. And they might have additional motivations around that. They might believe that schools are not religious enough. They may believe that schools are too religious. Like there are liberal homeschoolers out there. People kind of forget about this fact. Uh, It depends on where you are in the country. If you go to a homeschooling conference in Dallas, like I did a couple years ago, you're going to see a very different audience than if you go to uh, see a homeschooling conference in, say, California. But I was blown away by a number of things, not only how diverse they are, but also how well organized they are. And I made this observation the other day because I, I really like looking at movements, whether they're like broader social movements or single issue movements that are very, very effective, right? and very effective in the way that we wouldn't expect them to be effective. So I think that a lot of people who come from the public policy world or kind of the intellectual world think that you need to organize a movement in this highly rationalistic way that you have all these different organizations focusing on specific things and mobilized in specific ways. And I think that's an intuitive approach, right? And highly visible. And highly visible, right? Like we, we, need, to, we need to focus more on storytelling. We need to focus more on marketing. You know, there's, there's usually a new buzzword every couple of years. And that might, that might be effective, but there certainly are counterexamples that are highly, highly effective. And I think homeschoolers are a fantastic example of that. Like, I never knew that there are these massive homeschooling conferences where people all over the country come in to literally spend days, like looking at different curricula, just talking to other homeschoolers, talking about threats to homeschooling in their state, you know, some of the things that you would see at a, at a policy event. And I noted that they're not disorganized when I when I noticed that. They're highly organized. They're just very much decentralized. And they're not they don't they don't seem overtly political. The mm-hmm. fact that the fact that there's a political component 
is only a side effect of there being risks associated with having a legislature in session. Right, exactly. No, they're, they're, they're not political at all. You know, they're, they're political to the extent that like I, at one of the conferences I went to, Ben Carson was a speaker, right? And this was before the 2016 election. Uh, but that's because there's a number of different people all over the political spectrum who make this an important issue to them because it's an important issue to a large group of people. And those people, I think the important thing that you see about them when they're under the radar, there's a couple important issues. One is they have a ton of resources. Like I said, they're highly organized. And it's not a ton of resources in like we're going to pile a ton of money into it. They're often very much bootstrapped, right? And you'll you'll see homeschooling co-ops that are still operating to this day that are, might be the largest in their county on a website that looks like it was built back in like the GeoCities age, right? Like I don't think that's around anymore, but it's like that kind of thing, right? Like we were talking earlier uh, about how they might be on like a Yahoo messaging board. And they're still very, very effective, and those are very vibrant communities. So, what does that what does that mean? The fact that that, that they're not super visible, mm-hmm. uh, they are highly organized, but not necessarily wealthy. You can assume that uh, most uh, homeschooling families involve a parent staying home to actually engage in the, the right, process. Less of so than you would think. Okay. Less so, so than you would what, think. what practically, what does it mean? It doesn't mean anything until you actually look at how homeschooling has increased over like the last 20 years and how the laws have liberalized over just the last couple of years in particular. And there's a number of reasons for that. I think one is the technological and economic reason. Like I, like I noted, fewer parents have to stay home on and have to run their household on a single income than you would think because we actually are able to organize much more easily through the internet and we're able to find new educational resources. Uh, But also, I think it's one of these things that from a policy perspective, you know, every state in the country has liberalized over the last two decades on homeschooling. None have gotten worse. That's an important point. Uh, And every year we've seen, and this is a hard statistic to track, but every indicator we've found seems to point to that homeschooling is growing year over year in the United States, right? And I think that the importance of that highly organized, low overhead, you know, movement, for lack of a better word, uh, is to show that on a highly committed, specific point, with a lot of skin in the game, right? Like these people's livelihoods are on the line. You can get a lot done by focusing on this specific issue, right? The only organization that I have been able to find that is active in any kind of policy sense for homeschoolers is the Homeschool Legal Defense Association, which is a uh, you know a public interest law firm. So they're not actively going and like lobbying anybody. You need to change this law. But they do is they focus on specific cases where states are violating people's rights and go after them, much like the Institute for Justice. For those who are familiar with that. All right. So um, for lawmakers. What- should they be concerned about any attempt to uh, regulate homeschooling in any way? You know, again, 20, 30 years ago, I, I think it's an interesting community to go after because I'm sure that from a public choice perspective, you could. there's points to be won from the uh, public sector unions on this topic. Like I live in Pennsylvania, to give you an example, and Pennsylvania is the m- one of the more recent states to liberalize on homeschooling. And the old regulations had, had – I'm, I'm – 
summarizing them here, paraphrasing them, but they essentially boil down to if you wanted to homeschool your children, uh, you had to hire a consultant to sign off on your curriculum, make sure it meets uh, state standards, and that was out of pocket. And then you'd also have to take your uh, curriculum to the local superintendent and make sure that the local superintendent approves of it. And like, oh, there's no perverse incentives there, there at all, right? So the the pool of people who know homeschoolers has grown dramatically and the pool of people who could be homeschoolers has also grown dramatically. So I think from a, a legislator perspective, is this really the hill you want to die on, right? Like there has to be there have to be better ways to earn points with your the public sector unions that are lobbying you than going after families who want to actually educate their children how they see fit. What do what how do homeschoolers and uh, homeschooling groups, how do they view themselves as uh, political actors? They don't. That's that's like the really unique thing about them because this is a deeply personal thing for a lot of these people. Like if you if you talk to most people and you ask them like what their label is when it comes to say education, they'd be like, I don't know, I, I send my kids to school or like maybe I maybe I, I send I, I specifically chose a school district that my kids would find a good school in. These people, homeschool parent is one of the first things that they would use to describe themselves. And they view their role politically in a purely defensive form. And trust me, they are not monolithic at all. You go to you go speak to a group of them and they they come from a very diverse political backgrounds. On average, I'd say they're probably a little more conservative, but not in the sense that people would think that they are, not nearly to the extent that people would think that they are. And you'll find that they come from different religious backgrounds and there are many different forms of homeschooling available and they'll bicker over that, right? To the extent that they have infighting, it's like, well, I believe classical schooling is superior to say unschooling, or I believe that we should send our children to a co-op three days a week. And I believe we should never send them to a co-op and we should just organize outside of that, right? But they don't view themselves as a political entity, which I find really, really fascinating. And with the diversity of uh, ideological backgrounds or reasons for homeschooling, the fact that they share such a strong bond in this one area is, uh, I think, especially notable. It's especially notable because, again, I think it's it's important, you know, someone who's listening to a podcast put out by uh, a think tank is probably going to be susceptible to becoming detached from a lot of policy perspectives. I know that certainly happens to myself at times. For these people, this is not a policy issue, right, at all. This is a way of life issue. And when it's a core part of your identity that is under attack, people are very willing, like there's a hierarchy of identities, right? And for a lot of these people, homeschoolers higher up in that hierarchy of identity than like conservative or liberal or socialist or libertarian, right? And I think that's an important point to think about when you're thinking about your policy perspectives that you're either promoting or you're arguing against. What is the hierarchy of identities that the people who are within it, what are they identifying on? Zach Slayback is author of The End of School. We spoke at the State Policy Network annual meeting. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.